Today's scripture reading is from Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 to 24. Again, that's Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 to 24. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praise God because of me. This is the word of the Lord. That I came across, I thought was interesting, is of a family who, uh, this took place back in the mid-1900s, so you have to keep that in mind. So this family lived in a remote part of our country out in the rural, and they finally decided to go and visit a great big city. So they go into this city, and they, uh, they got a room in this really grand hotel, and so uh, the mother's checking them in, and the father and son are just like, wow, looking at all the sights and the beauties of this big hotel. And one of the ones that they were really curious about was the elevator. They had never seen an elevator before in their life. So they're just standing there watching the elevator, and they watch this old woman hobble into the, the doors open and goes into this box, and the doors close, and they're just standing there trying to figure out, what does this thing do? And then the doors open, and this beautiful young woman walks out, and the father kind of hits his son, and he says, go get your mom. <laughs> you get it? She thought the old woman transformed into a young woman. Anyway, so, yeah, that's one of my dad jokes that I like to say. <laughs> you know, the reason why I bring that up is because people change for all kinds of reasons, and obviously not because of the elevators, but because of things that are influences us for, in us in our lives. And, and this is what, if you noticed in Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 through 24, there is this... Uh, Paul sharing about this change that happened in his life. He's talking about his story, uh, about how he changed. And so we're going to be looking at this and this change that happened to him because of this dramatic um, effect that the gospel message had on him, that the Lord Jesus, this revelation, as he points to, had on his life. 
You know, last week we studied the first part of chapter 1 in Galatians, uh, and then we saw that the gospel plus anything that we add to the gospel is then no gospel at all. But this week we're going to be focusing on this transformation then that the gospel does provide uh, and give us, actually, the gospel of Jesus, Jesus himself, brings to our hearts. And Paul makes this interesting claim in verse 11. Let's go ahead to that first slide. Yeah, there we go. Verse 11, to the Christians that we saw that are in the Galatians, is written to these Christians in the Roman province of Galatia and Asia Minor at that time. And this is what he says there. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. And he stated this because this is, must have been one of the accusations that he had made up this gospel that he had preached uh, to make, get in favor with the Gentiles. Um, and, but this is not what he claimed because when we see back in chapter, earlier in chapter 1 and verse 7, when he says this, he's talking about these people and when he's um, messing things up, he says, evidently some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. And that's where we said the gospel plus anything is not the gospel at all. You see, the gospel of Christ simply means the gospel that came from Christ or the gospel about Christ Jesus. It can mean both of those. It means both and uh, the, the, those meanings. And Christ is just a Greek word for the Hebrew word meaning Messiah, and Messiah just is the anointed one. That's what that meaning uh, carries, the anointed one of God. So the gospel that the Apostle Paul preached to these churches in Galatia did not originate with himself, but it is about and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's interesting here. I bring this out because how a system of belief begins is the test of whether it is trustworthy and true or whether it is truthful or not. How it begins. So, for example, I'm going to tell you two stories of some modern-day beliefs that people hold to in this country and in the world, and I want to see if you can pick out which ones they are just by my story of talking about their origins. So the first one. On February 16th, just back in 1852, so about 150 years ago, 170 years ago, uh, to be exact, yeah, and this happened in the state of Pennsylvania, in, in just outside Pittsburgh, a son was born to Joseph L. Russell and his wife, Anna Eliza, and the son's name was Charles Taze Russell. And so Charles Russell uh, spent most of his childhood in an area called Allegheny, a suburb of Pittsburgh, where at the age of 25, by that age, he has become a, a really successful businessman. And so Charles Russell was a Congregationalist by denomination, and from what is known from his early history, he was zealous about uh, a student of the Bible, though he wasn't very educated. Uh, he must have left school early in his age. And it was as a direct of his interest, uh, interest in Bible study that he formed a, Bible, uh, a little small Bible study himself in, I think it was around 1870. And then this group, after six years, uh, nominated him, and they called him his, their pastor. So he was now a pastor of this Bible study, and by this time in 1876, uh, six years later from when he started it, he had already discarded a lot of the orthodox teachings of Christianity, teachings such as the deity of Christ, 
the Trinity of God, uh, his physical resurrection, the, the Christ's resurrection and return, and the doctrine of retribution for sin. He, he basically discarded all those. And then Russell began a small magazine called The Watchtower. Does anybody guess what group this is I'm talking about? What system of faith? What was that? Jehovah's Witnesses. That's right. Yeah, that's how the Jehovah's Witnesses started. Okay, the, the number two. This is also in 1800s. 1805, Joseph Smith Jr. was born in December 23 in Sharon, Vermont. So New England, again. And at the age of 15... Joseph Smith Jr. said he had his first vision. And this vision of when God the Father and Jesus appeared to him to tell him that all the churches that existed in the world were abomination. They were wrong. And that uh, the creeds that they had created were also an abomination in God's sight. And then in 1823, just three years later, the angel Marani appeared to him and told Smith that there was this history that had been lost that was recorded on these golden tablets and these golden plates. And then three years, or yeah, four years later from that, the angel Morani guided him to find these tablets and dig them up on this hill, Camorra, in Manchester, New York. And then two years later after that, Smith tells of how John the Baptist and the apostles of Peter and James and John all met with him and made him a priest of this new faith that they were going to start. Does anybody want to put out a guess of what this is for? That's right. Mormons, or otherwise known as the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And this is the origins of the Mormons. You know, the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons each have origins beginning with one man and these things that these men claim without any real verification. Things to verify what they're saying as truth. They just, one man with these claims. And both founders, Charles Taze Russell and Joseph Smith, claim truth but without verification. So when we turn and look to the Christian faith as well, begins with one man, right? Jesus of Nazareth. He claimed that he is the way and the truth and the life. And then those claims were backed up by his resurrection, just like he claimed he would be. He was raised to life after he was murdered. And so that's what verified what he has to say. And all the claims that he has made about himself have come true. And so, therefore, that's why many of us here today are sitting here worshiping him as Lord, as he claimed to be. The Apostle Paul claimed that the gospel he preached did not come from himself or anybody else, but came to him through a direct revelation from Jesus himself. And in verse 12, he, he says this. He says, I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Now, the accusation leveled against Paul we can imagine, because of this claim he's making, was that he made this gospel up by himself and was preaching it to gain favor with the Gentiles. So you can imagine that these accusers are Jewish because, you know, only Jews call us Gentiles, right? <laughs> because of their perspective. Anybody who's not a Jew is a Gentile. 
So these accusations must have come from people who called themselves Jews. And then Paul stressed in defense in the verse right before our text, verse 10, listen to what he says there. He says, am I now trying to win approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. He's referring to all the persecution that comes his way for being a follower of Christ. Why would he do that if he's trying to please people? Paul had not changed because he was seeking favor with the Gentiles, those who are not Jewish, but instead because of the grace of God on his life. The gospel had changed him in a significant way. And Paul brought this out in verse 15 when he wrote, But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. Now, as Paul looked back, it's amazing to think that he recognized that he saw God's hand in his life even when he was resisting God himself. That God was using his life up to that point of becoming a follower of Jesus. He was using all of his life in preparation for what God was calling him to do for the Lord himself. It's, it's pretty astonishing when you think of it because Paul had been resisting God and doing so much wrong in his life up before his conversion. Uh, he was, but God was, in a sense, overruling Paul's intentions by he knew Paul would come to faith to him. And so all the experiences, all the sin that Paul did, all the mis, misunderstanding Paul had was like it brought him to this aha moment when Jesus revealed himself to Paul. You know, his failures, his sins uh, led to his conversion and then even to be a preacher to the Gentiles as a Jewish man. God had been working all along to use Paul to establish his purposes on earth and prepare for that. So this is where we see that God's call on Paul's life was by grace and by grace alone. You know, a good way to remember what grace, the grace of God means is this acronym that's common out there in the Christian circles, but I like it. It's, you know, God's riches at Christ's expense. It's, it's this acronym. God's riches are available to us through faith only by Christ's expense. You know, his life that he gave for us. The gospel gives us this pair of glasses, therefore, to review our lives, all of our life up to this point, and see how his hand has been working in the difficulties that he has allowed. Even in our sinful rebellion, he is working his purposes. Because he's, he's God. He's sovereign. And you, when you and I come face to face and accept the grace of God through faith in Christ, then we will be transformed. That is the message that Jesus told us. If you follow me, you know, basically your life will never be the same. If you follow me, he said. Paul, Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. He said, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this, not from your, this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. We are called by God's grace. We are saved by God's grace. We are transformed by God's grace. It's nothing we have done to deserve what God has done for you and for me and for the world. So therefore, Paul's evidence to back up his claim of divine revelation 
was his changed life. And this is what he has done the next half of chapter, of the rest of chapter 1. So Paul is reminded, he's reminding the Galatians, this is, this is what happened to me. This is how I changed dramatically because of what Jesus did in my heart and in my life. And this is the same for us today, today who believe in Jesus and share the truth about Jesus with those of others in our lives. The best evidence that you and I can present to people is the changes that we've experienced in our lives, the transformation of our hearts and our attitudes, and therefore then our habits of living. I mean, sure, we can show how the Bible is reliable and accurate historically. And yes, we can show and demonstrate that the historical evidence of the resurrection of Jesus and how that can be verified in many historical ways. And we can also show how Jesus fulfills many, if not all, the prophecies that are about the Messiah from the Old Testament. We can show all those things to people, but the visible power of the gospel and how it is present today is in the lives of those who follow him and the changes and the transformation that is happening continually in his people. It's our changed lives. You know, in Charles Schultz's Peanuts comic strip, I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, you should be, uh, Lucy asked Linus, do you think people ever really change? And Linus responds saying, yeah, this past year I think I changed a lot. And then Lucy says, no, I'm talking about changing for the better. You know, if, if we believe Jesus and accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, then our lives are going to be changed, made new, changed for the better to be more and more like Christ himself in many, many ways. And it's, it's a process. This is the evidence that is here now. The power of God is here. And our lives are witness to it by the changes that happen. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Is the new here? Yes, because we follow Christ. So we are made new in Christ. And do you want an exciting life? Then follow Jesus, because you're going to always be changing and being molded and challenged. That's exciting, because you know we want to be better as people, but only Christ himself can make you a better person. In transformation. You know, self-help books are big sellers all around the world. Why? Because people, we as people, we want to believe that we can make ourselves better. We just got to work a little harder. We got to be more disciplined. We got to be more organized. And yes, we can gain new skills. We can become better, you know, piano players, right? If we practice, or we, we can be better manage our time, or we can work hard and maybe lose weight and whatever it is that we can really make an effort, but we cannot change our hearts. We cannot change the slant, the intentions of our heart on our own. We can change the way we look, you know, change our clothes or change our muscles or maybe our bellies, you know, whatever, if we work hard at it, but we cannot change our hearts. Only our Creator can do that. And in Christ, is the hope we have for that kind of change. Lee Strobel, author of the book Case for Christ, 
shares about this power of the gospel that transformed him when he became a Christian. And I'm just going to quote him, and you can follow along as I read this. How can I tell you the difference God has made in my life? Well, my daughter, Allison, was five years old when I became a follower of Jesus. And all she had known in those five years was a dad who was profane and angry. I remember I came home one night and kicked a hole in the living room wall just out of anger with life. I am ashamed to think of the times Allison hid in her room to get away from me. Five months after I gave my life to Jesus Christ, the little girl, that little girl, went to my wife and said, Mommy, I want God to do for me what he's doing for Daddy. At age five, what was she saying? She said she never studied the archaeological evidence regarding the truth of the Bible. All she knew was her dad used to be this way, hard to live with. But more and more, her dad is becoming another way. And if that is what God does to people, then sign her up. At age five, she gave her life to Jesus. God changed my family. He changed my world. He changed my eternity. End quote. See, the gospel of Christ, the grace of God, is continually transforming us who follow him. There's change happening in our hearts. And then it flows into our life, our habits, our decisions. Paul gave evidence from his life to show that it was God who had called him. And it wasn't from any person. He starts in verse 13. He says, For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. And this was Paul, actually, at this point, before his conversion to Jesus or to Christianity, his, he was called Saul by his Hebrew name. And, and he became a follower of Jesus, and then he went and started to call himself Paul, which actually means little, which is kind of interesting, kind of a humble name to take on. And, but before his conversion, he had condoned the murder of Stephen, a deacon in the church. He threw Christians in prison. He hated Christians, and he sought them out to persecute them and throw them in prison and torture them in some ways. Paul was working his way up this corporate religious ladder, and he was well-esteemed as like someone who was like on his way to the top. But then all that suddenly changed. Let's look at verse 15. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb, and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. My immediate response was not to consult any human being. It did not, I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went to Arabia, and later I returned to Damascus. And here's a map just to kind of show you where's Arabia and Damascus and his movements there. But Paul makes two important points here, if you noticed. One is that he gives God the credit for this transformation, this revelation and change in his life. Because God had prepared him from birth, even in his mother's womb, he says, right? And God called him, and God worked then in him to preach to the Gentiles. And the second point is after the revelation that came to him from Jesus, Paul did not consult anyone. He didn't go to Jerusalem to see the apostles. He said these apostles, what he's talking about, are those men who followed Jesus 
his disciples that Jesus had chosen, those who had seen and heard firsthand Jesus' teaching and healings and his resurrection from the dead, he didn't go consult them. He, he went to Arabia, away from Israel, that territory, to be alone. And I can imagine to study the scriptures with these new understanding that Jesus is the Messiah, risen from the dead, which he had heard, but he didn't believe. He was actually trying to stamp that out. And now, having met Christ, he was looking at the scriptures, looking through it and realizing the truth of God for himself as he saw firsthand in the revealed word of God. And then later he returned to Damascus, but still not meeting with any prominent Christian church leaders at that point. And then Paul continued his story in verse 18. And then after three years, so he was in Damascus, right? Three years. I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, who's Peter, and stayed with him 15 days, and I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am saying or writing to you is true, is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Paul's life completely turned around. Absolutely. 180 degrees. Kill those people to, I want to be one of them. And preach the gospel that I was trying to stamp out. Now this, you know, the change was dramatic, so dramatic that the first response of the churches in Judea, uh, which Paul doesn't really mention here in Galatians, but we get an idea of this from Acts chapter 9, verse 26. Um, look what it says there that Luke reports. He says, and when he says he, that's Paul, when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing, what he believing that he was really a disciple, which makes sense, right? Because if we would have the same reaction, if somebody was like, arresting our friends and throwing them in jail, and then all of a sudden he's there saying, hey, I'm one of you guys. We would think like, yeah, right, you're just trying to come in and find out what other people follow Jesus, and you're going to throw us in jail then. Right? We wouldn't trust him. But thankfully, because of a brother named Barnabas, he met with Paul and kind of screened him, I would think, and say, hey, you know, this, you really are sincere. And then because Barnabas, he was able to meet with Peter and some of the others in Jerusalem. But still many of the people in Jerusalem didn't, uh, and Judea didn't know Paul. They just heard this report. You know, so the word spread through the churches in Judea, as Paul said, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy, and they praise God because of Paul's change. Do you hear that? They praise God. This is the brothers of believers. They praise God because of what God had done, obviously, in this man's life transforming him. It was the Holy Spirit that changed Paul, and it was the change in Paul that was evidence that he pointed to of the reality of the gospel to the people he preached to, and to the people that he had to try to convince that, yeah, I really am a follower of Jesus. You know, it's the same for us. And I experienced this change when I became a follower of Jesus. When I was 14 years old, I was going... It was this summer between 8th and ninth grade when it really sunk in that I wanted to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. And I remember, I was a shy kid. 
I, I did not, I was not confident to stand up for anything I believed. If anybody challenged me, I just backed down. Okay, whatever, your way. You know, I didn't want to confront. But I remember as Christ grew in me, there was this strength that was not of me that just urged me. And I remember specifically in one class, it sticks up in my mind because it was one of the first times I took a stand on what I believed. And the teacher was teaching an ancient history class. And she made this comment, and we were talking about Old Testament history period, you know, uh, Assyria and Babylonia. We were learning all that stuff in the Middle East area. And she said, yeah, all those stories and things the Old Testament, you know, and the Bible teaches, is all myths. And I remember thinking, this just, it just irked me that she would say something like that offhand. And all of a sudden, before I knew it, my hand was up in the air. <laughs> I was like, oh, no. <laughs> and, and then she asked me, oh, yeah, Jeff, what, you, know, you got a comment? And I said, well, um, is, do you know of anything in the Bible that has been proven false to be untrue by, like, archaeology or anything? And she just looked at me and she said, no. Then I said, well, then how can you just blanketly say it's all myth, like it's not true? And she said, oh, good point. And she went on. You know, but in my own heart, I just felt like, wow, I had never done anything like this before. And here I was, this shy kid now doing something like this, only because Christ was changing my heart, doing something in me. And I also saw it when I was with my friends. I was pretty foul-mouthed. I dropped the F-bomb quite often with my friends uh, because that was, you know, that's just the way the language worked there. Um, and, but as I grew in Christ, I saw that my filthy language, which came from my filthy heart, started to transform, and my words became more uplifting. And the F-bomb was not so expressive of what I meant. And so it got less and less over time. And that's another thing I, I noticed in this transformation that's happening. And then my decisions, every time I stepped out and did something that required faith in following Christ, I felt and experienced a transformation deepening in my heart. So things like, uh, I have a, a little list here I was thinking through, like when I decided in my freshman year of college to go to Urbana Missions Conference in 1984. It was a big deal to go to some missions conference. And then in two months during college, uh, a summer in college, I went for, you know, to Ecuador for, on a mission trip for two months. That was life-changing. And then my decision to go to seminary and to be a pastor and then to come here and serve at Cornerstone back in 2008 all those things are trans, uh, evidence of me taking a step of faith in the transforming work that God's doing in my heart. I mean, if you knew me when I was in high school or seminary or when May and I first got married in 1994 or just 10 years ago, even after I was serving at this church, hopefully, and Nathan, you can attest since you knew me 10 years ago, uh, I'm different in some ways. There's got to be some transforming, changing happening that you can point to and see because of the power of God in our lives. There's transforming by the grace of God is happening in each of our lives over a period of time. Of course, we need to cooperate with that. If we resist him, then naturally it's not going to work too well for us. For all of us today who are here presently or watching online, uh, there's 
got to be some change that we can point to if we claim to be a follower of Christ. Can you think of some way, or maybe think of what is the biggest thing in your life that's causing change in your heart, in your mind? Is it a relationship you're in with someone that's causing the biggest change in you? Or is it the Lord Christ and following him? Is it your job that's causing you the most change? Or is it following Christ? What is it? Is it your friends, the people you hang with, that's causing the most change, influencing you the most? Or is it Christ himself? Because if we can think of a story or, or something and point to it and say, yeah, there's evidence in my own life that Christ is changing me, then we are following Jesus. But if we can't think of anything, if we're sitting there like, ah, oh, I don't know. Then now's the time to humble yourself and come to Christ and accept his forgiveness and, and say, I will follow you, Lord Jesus, as my Lord. Because I'll tell you, if you want an exciting life, follow Jesus. Because life will never be the same. You will be challenged. You will be changed as long as you keep your eyes on Jesus, fixed on him, the king of the universe. Because without him, we're lost. We don't know what is the purpose of my life. We will pursue things like pleasure or entertainment or, or just success in our careers or whatever money, whatever the, you know, the traditional things are, that those things in and of themselves will give us satisfaction and fulfillment. And the lie of the devil is they will never satisfy you. You'll always want more. Only Jesus can truly satisfy us and where we desire to be satisfied. Jesus said, I am the way. Now, think of that. I am the way. It's very exclusive. The truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. That's an astounding claim. Jesus is the one who can truly fulfill our lives. Do you believe that? Let's pray. Lord, we desire so much to live a life of purpose and meaning, of significance in what we do. And this is good, because this is the way you designed us. But Lord, we confess that oftentimes we look to other things or our own thinking of how to bring that about by ourselves rather than by your grace. And Lord, we pray now that we can encourage one another and spur one another on to follow you, Lord Jesus. And those in our lives that are unconvinced of who you are as Lord and Savior, we pray, Lord, that as they get to know us, that they will get to know you because we and our lives are focused on following you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.